you come to Acts chapter 11 when they were first called Christians up there in that city just north of Jerusalem. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be considering what it means for us on an everyday, daily basis to live as disciples of Jesus. And as we get into the text in Luke chapter 9 that Matt just read for us, let's prepare our minds and our hearts by asking God to bless us in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the life of Christ that was lived among men without blemish, without sin, without spot, without iniquity, without, without transgression against Your Word. And we're thankful for the, the, the death that He died in our place, understanding, Father, that it was for our guilt, our individual personal sin. And that we find ourselves, Father, through faith in Him, being reconnected to You, Father, our sins being washed away, our, our, our adoption as sons and daughters completed in Christ. And it's our prayer that we, we come to grips and to a deeper understanding of what it means to live that life of, of adoption, that, that life of sonship and daughtership, what it means to, to, to walk in His steps as disciples. And so as we study, Father, we ask that You give us eyes that see and ears that hear. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all the church said. You know, when you read the first eight chapters or so of the Gospel of Luke, what you find Luke doing is trying to give us a definition of Jesus. He is describing Jesus' life. Luke chapter 7, verse 49. Who is this that forgives sins? Mark, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 8, verse 25. Who is this that commands even the wind and the water and they obey Him? But when we get to chapter 9, there's, there's a pivot. The Gospel of Luke changes a little bit. When we get to chapter 9, Jesus is asking His disciples, not, uh, not necessarily, uh, at the, even though He does ask, who do all of these men say that I am? He principally wants to know who they think He is. And it's here that Peter has this really splendid moment where he's as beautiful as he's ever going to be, perhaps, when he answers the question, who is this? And Peter does not reply that Jesus is next in a long line of rabbis and sages and and wise men and prophets. He says, you are the Christ of God in verse 20. And it's there that he says that Jesus is the, the Messiah. He identifies Him as the One. He is the One that is bringing the kingdom of God. He is the One that is going to be bringing all of the healing and all of that renovating power of God back into the world in order to heal it of its brokenness. It's a great confession. You're the Christ of God. But then notice what happens next in the text. As soon as as Peter reveals correctly the identity of Jesus through the help of the Holy Spirit, we read about it in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, verse 23 of Luke 9, If anyone would come after Me, meaning if you would follow Me, then he must what? Let's say it together as a church. He must what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and then what? Follow Me. And from this point on, for the next uh, nine chapters or so, until you get about to chapter 18, Luke is now telling us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, the Christ of God, the Messiah. And if Jesus is who He says He is and Peter confesses Him to be, then what does that that make us? 
And what does that mean for us? You know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, you find these words deny and following daily. These are the, the key concepts that are going to be found throughout the remaining nine chapters as they help us to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It means denial. And it means following Jesus. And it does mean that this happens on a daily, everyday basis. There's not a time during your week. There's not a time during the day that you are not a, a, a disciple, identified as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what we're going to do this morning and the rest of the time that we have is, is basically look at two very simple, in fact, for many of you, it's just going to be a reminder of what it means to be a disciple. But we want to start here and begin to expand and exhaust this idea of discipleship over the next couple of weeks. Now, what does it mean to be a disciple? Number one, it means to live daily with a changed priority. You live daily with a changed priority. We, we go to the end of chapter 9, and we, we find that there are these three men encountering Jesus. And Jesus' response, as we, we read them in the text, seem a little harsh. They seem a, l- a little blunt. And in fact, the, the first man says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. That sounds fantastic. But notice Jesus' response in verse 58. He says, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay, lay His head. Now, Jesus is not taking issue with the fact that this man has correctly identified that one of the aspects of living as a disciple of Jesus is that you follow Him. And you follow Him wherever He goes. But remember, following Jesus is a key concept and it involves denial. What Jesus discerns in this fellow is that there is a misunderstanding about what it means to follow Jesus because of a wrong attitude that's hiding in this man's heart. Jesus is not the kind of Lord or Messiah who's going to rally the troop and storm the palace and and there's this hope of a victory over all of the enemies, the very thing that probably not only this guy, but a lot of Israel was expecting the Messiah to do. Jesus is the kind of King. He is the kind of Christ Messiah who leads through service, through the laying down of His life, Jesus is the kind of Messiah who is going to make others rich through His own poverty. And so here's this fellow that comes up to Him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus puts him to the test. He says, I see you have fine, fine, a fine home and that you have fine possessions. And yet, I have no place to lay my head. Are you willing to be like me? Are you willing to put me before all of the things that you have? Again, to to, to be a follower of Jesus involves denial of all of those things that would grab as a priority your heart and your soul and your mind and your body in such a way that it relegates Jesus to a secondary position. Jesus says, listen, I know that you have all of these fine things. Are you willing to lay those aside in order to follow one who doesn't even have a place to lay his head. And then the next two guys are very similar to the first. One wants to bury his father. The other wants to go back and to say goodbye to his family. And again, it sounds harsh. But listen, Jesus is not against funerals, nor is Jesus against families. But notice in the text how each of these men say, I will follow you, but first. Let me go do something else. The question for the disciple is whether or not Jesus is first. 
In fact, as the definition of discipleship, to follow Jesus means to put Him first daily. That's what it means to follow Him. This is what it means to be a disciple. Following Jesus means that He is first over career, over family, over parents, over children. Over our personal desires and ambitions. Look at what Jesus says at the end of the chapter. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, He says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and then does what, church? Looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. Now, at, at you know, first blush, it looks as if what Jesus is saying is that you've just got to change all of the, 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 the ways that you do things. But it's a, a little bit more deep than that. Farmers in those days had to be completely focused on what they were doing. They, they could not look back. They had to keep their eyes ahead of them because where they were plowing, might, you know, that plow blade might hit a rock and break. And during the time of Jesus, for that kind of thing to happen, it spelled disaster in a culture where you couldn't, couldn't run down to the local Don Deere, uh, John Deere and buy a replacement blade. And so when you were plowing in that rocky soil, in that soil that, that, uh, that where the danger of breaking a blade that would affect the resources for food for your family, you had to stay focused. You couldn't look back. It was a foolish thing to look back. When you put your hand to the plow, you had to look forward and make sure that you were not running in the ground. You had to have that kind of focus. And Jesus says that following Him means you have that same kind of focus. But there's another thing that He says here. He says, what, you know, let the dead bury the dead. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, it, sounds, it, it, it absolutely sounds harsh. But it's also a little bit cryptic. It's, it's, it's sort of in your face. But what does it mean? Well, it cannot mean, that is, you know, in reference to that, the first dead, the dead bearing the dead, it can't refer to the physical dead because they certainly can't dig graves. What it is about, I think, is a reference to being spiritually dead, to, to being spiritually dead in trespasses and not being able to discern the spiritual nature of the kingdom and all of its activity around you. It means to be blind and deaf to the spiritual realities in a way that a physically dead body is dead to physical realities. Therefore, what Jesus is saying is that if you say that you want to become a Christian, but you want to wait until you have some fun, or you get a career started, or your parents are no longer in the picture, then you really have not understood the gospel. Because if you did understand it completely, utterly, then you would not put it off. And what Jesus is really saying to these individuals is that you really, what you really need is to wake up. Let the dead bury the dead. Now, I do not dare mute any of what Jesus is teaching here. He is teaching that not only is He your Savior, but He is also your Lord. He is your Master. He is your King. Think about it this way. My name is, is Mark Absher, and I can come over to your house. I can knock on the door. You answer the door, and you say, come on in, Mark. But Absher has to stay outside. I mean, how does that happen? I would, I would have a problem. You can't split me like that. Even though if you split me, there'd be enough for two guys. I am both Mark and Absher. Not one or the other. I am that, Mark Absher. It's the same thing with Jesus. We invite Jesus to be the Savior part of our life, but we do not invite Lord Jesus into our life. And we have a problem because He is both. And as an aside, and we'll talk about this more as we go through the month, 
or through the coming weeks. You know, there, there, there are a lot of, of us in this room that from time to time we struggle with worship and we struggle with our marriages and we struggle with all kinds of things that are happening at work and in our neighborhood and around the culture and all of these, these kinds of things. We're struggling with it. And there are times when it doesn't seem like Christianity makes very much sense. At least I'm not getting the blessing part out of it the way that I thought I was going to get the blessing part out of it. The reason for that is because we've not accepted Jesus to be the Lord of our life over every inch of, of, of our being. That we have accepted Him to be our Savior, and so we feel that we have been forgiven of a lot of things and a lot of transgression and a lot of darkness and blackness in our life, but we have not allowed Him to dictate the, the direction of our steps from here on out. And so what we're living is sort of, a, uh, uh, in a manner of speaking, a schizophrenic type of spirituality where we have you know, one foot over here, but we have one foot over there, and they're in two worlds that are not compatible. And so we think, I mean, it's just like marriage. Think about marriage. I mean, I go home every night, and I kiss my wife, and I kiss my kids, but if my heart really belongs someplace over there in another world, in a world where it no longer belongs, how can I be wholly devoted over here? And if I'm not wholly devoted over here in my marriage, then how can I get the full benefit of that marriage? Meaning, intimacy and confidence and a stability and a rightness of life and an integrity of being that blesses me wherever I go. What happens is that because I'm living my life over there as well, when I come back over to this married life, then I'm going to be annoyed. And I'm going to lose patience and I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be frustrated from time to time. And there are going to be all kinds of things that I'm going to be angry about because Deep down inside of me, I'm unstable. I'm, I'm living, I'm fragmented. I'm trying to obey two masters. I'm trying to live two sets of, of rules and regulations and principles and values. I'm trying to live life in two different worlds. And I'm telling you, church, that doesn't work. And that's why you accept Jesus not only as your Savior, but as your Lord. Now, where was I? The problem deep down is that, is that we, we accept Jesus as Savior, kind of going back to that aside. The problem is, is we treat Him not as our Lord, though, but as our assistant. And if you treat Jesus as your Savior, but not as your Lord, then you're, again, you really don't understand it. Quite frankly, you don't get it. Being a disciple is about this new priority in your life. When you make Jesus the center of everything about you, then it, it gives a, a, new, a new priority. It gives a new meaning. It gives a new set of standards and, and principles and values and worth to, to your marriage and to your work and to your family and to your, your children and, and all of these other things. But it all begins for the disciple in deciding to follow Him and not looking back. But there's a second thing. It means to live daily with a new identity. Now, that first part I've been talking about, we get that. You know, we've been taught that. You've heard me say it a hundred times over the last ten years. You've heard me say you've got to put Jesus first. You've got to put Jesus first. One of the ways, though, that we don't get discipleship is this second point. Being a disciple of Jesus means more than just reorienting the time frame of your Sundays and Wednesday nights. And if you decide to be a part of Intersect on Monday night. There, there's more to being a disciple than showing up at the right place in the right time. Now, all of that's important. I'm going to say some things about showing up for worship in the coming weeks. 
But to be a disciple means that on a daily basis, every day of your life, for 24 hours during that day, seven days a week, you live with this new identity. It's not just bending your will to His, but it's the melting of your heart in order for it to be remolded into a new shape. It's it's about being changed from the inside out. Notice how He says this. In verse 23, He says, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow Me. Whoever wants to save their what? Their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for Me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very what? Now again, at first glance, it looks just like this is another way of saying a changed priority. It looks like do my will now and do not do your will now. It's the will of Christ versus the will of of, of the human being, the disciple. Now again, that's true, but there's more to it in this verse. In verse 24, I want you to circle that word life. It's actually um, probably better translated soul. It's the Greek word psuche. It is the word for the inner life. It, more directly, it is your soul, that, that, that soul being the aspect of your whole being that correlates and integrates and enlivens everything that's going on inside of you. And Jesus is saying that now as a disciple, your old way of gaining a sense of self, gaining a sense of identity is over. What happens on the inside of you on a daily basis is different. It's not just the show. It's not just the, the, the facade of our life and changing some habits a couple of times during the week. What it is really about in being a disciple is being saved in order to be retooled, to be made over into the image of Jesus. Now, in the Western world, we struggle with this. The way we think that we're to find ourselves is to discover, you know, what is our greatest and our deepest desire? And once we discover that, it might be some kind of a relationship or some kind of a job or, or a degree or something, or to have this kind of a car. We find that greatest, deepest desire and we fulfill it. And once you have fulfilled that deepest desire, then you have found yourself. The problem with that is that many of our desires conflict with one another. And, and how do you know, really, which one is the deeper one? And I don't know about you, but things have changed for me over the last 50 years. What happens when you discover that the desire that you had in your teens is not the same desire of your middle age? I don't remember when I was, you know, 17 years old waking up and going, you know, when I get out of bed, I hope that my knees support me. What a mess. What a mess, church. To live off of incoherent dreams and illusions. It leads to that unstable life again. And here in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is basically saying that you will never find yourself by trying to find yourself in things, in the stuff. You don't find yourself by gaining things from the world like a career that that might set you apart. Or in a family that would give you some, some, some sense of identity and a sense of belonging. Your true sense of identity does not come like that. And Jesus says you can gain the whole world. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a place where you never have to worry about what you're going to drive or what you're going to eat 
or your clothing or whether or not there's going to be people around you or whether or not you're going to have money to pay your bills. Can you imagine a life like that? In some ways it sounds pretty good. But the bottom line is, is that Jesus is saying you don't find your sense of identity. You don't really find your true self in the things of this world. You, you don't find you can gain the whole world and still lose yourself. At least a self that is stable and safe. Instead, Jesus says, you know, you build your identity on Him. He says in, in Matthew chapter 11, He says, Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take My yoke. That means be, be yoked with My yoke. Learn from Me what it's about. He says, I'm gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your very what? Soul. Over in Psalm 23, a psalm that we looked at this last summer, what is it that God, that David says about God? God does what? He restores my soul. What Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 9 goes deeper than just whether or not you know, you're showing up on Sundays or showing up on Wednesdays or showing up at some... It, what He's talking about is whether or not you're showing up every day with your cross and living a changed life from the inside out. This is why God puts His Holy Spirit in you at your conversion, quite frankly. Now, the Spirit does all kinds of things. Peter's going to say in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that His divine power... God's power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Paul will say it this way in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, up here on the screen. May God Himself, the God of peace, do what? Sanctify you. That's that process in which the Spirit of God changes you into the likeness of Jesus. It takes you from being a corrupt individual and turning you into an individual that reflects the holiness of God, the character of God, the compassion, the love, and the mercy of God. That spirit inside of you like that takes away all of those base desires that you had for things that were going to destroy your life and that were wrecking your marriage and wrecking your family and wrecking your career and wrecking your life and finding yourself being you know, driven to other kinds of things. That spirit inside of you changes what it is that you hunger for and helps you to hone that hunger for God in which there's a little bit more of God that you take in on a daily basis. You swallow in a little bit more of of, of God every day in the sense that you begin to, to be changed the way that Paul talks about it in Galatians 5. He talks about it with the language of plants. Now, I... You know, unless we had you know the, the, that high-speed photography, I've never seen a plant really grow as as on, on a daily basis into the kind of thing that where it's mature and blossoms. It's a slow process, but that spirit is inside of you to get you there. Jesus did not die to redeem a value system, he or or, or your principles. He died to save you, all of you. And to redeem you does not mean that He just has gotten you to a place where you can be forgiven, but He's gotten you to a place where you can be changed. And again, we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but you know what, church? There's just really no excuse. If you've been struggling with anger for decades and decades and decades, that you still struggle with anger or lying or or being honest or not a steward with your your finances, or, or whatever it might be. 
being a disciple of Jesus means that all of these issues that you struggle with, with that sinful nature, that fallen nature that we, that we will struggle with until we see Jesus face to face, 1 John chapter 3, then we'll be transformed into His very likeness. But in the meantime, day by day, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we are being transformed inch by inch, degree by degree, into the glory, or in, into the likeness of Jesus, to God's glory, and it's a work that's done by His Spirit. And so through the passage of time, we, all, of, all of that bad stuff, the transgressions, the, 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 the desires that are not right, that lead us astray, that destroy us, that destroy our relationships, that destroy everything about us that's supposed to be godly and good. All of that gets moved out of the picture as we're being transformed. And in its place is put all of that lovely stuff that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Like patience and kindness and goodness and peace and joy. And above all of these, love. And instead of being selfish, we become very servant-hearted. And instead of being self-centered, we begin to have the mind of Christ and we begin to consider other people as better than ourselves in terms of serving them and looking after their own needs. And when we interact with people, our language is not going to be you know, Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, the kind of language that decays that person and decays their mind and decays their, their attitude and their spirit in life, but it's going to be the kind of language that lifts them up. I mean, I want to be a, a part of a church like that. That, that's filled with people who understand that this is the identity that they have in Christ. That to be a disciple doesn't mean that I'm just giving up a bunch of things. It's, it's, it's gaining everything. It is gaining everything possible. All things in Christ. More to this to come. But we're going to stop now. We're going to offer an invitation. One of the most blessed things you can do in this life is just, it's just to be honest. It's just to be honest. It's, it's to understand that there are, are things that you're, never, that you're never going to be able to get on a right path or on a right track. That the wheels will always seem like they're coming off of the wagon. And if you get really, really honest, you're going to understand that all of it is by your own hand, that you're not a victim. You may be victimized sometimes, but really, it's, it's by your own hand. And yet, there's this incredible love that we can't even get our mind around, even though we contemplate it for all of our lives. There is this true, heavy, dense love in heaven that says that what we have done with our lives and what we've done with the world and all of that is not going to stand. It will not make it through eternity. And that God, at a great cost to Himself, is, is willing not only to forgive, but to, but to change every single person into the kind of person they were always supposed to be. It means that you get saved and you become a child of God. It also means that you become a disciple. And every day, every day, every day of your life, you live from the inside out a life that has just been crammed full of blessing after blessing after blessing. Is it an easy life? Absolutely not. Is it an easy life? No way. Is it a life that sometimes has some pain and suffering in it? You know, sometimes it seems like all the time. But you don't get mad and you don't get angry and you're not frustrated. 
with that kind of a life because you have the very thing that you want. There are so many things that that we hold them as if our very identity is tied to them. And if that thing is taken away from us, we fall to the ground and we're shattered and we're completely fragmented and we're shattered all over the place and our lives become like dust, just, just blown into the wind because we've lost the thing that gave us the identity. But Jesus is the only Lord, the only Master who will never turn you into a slave and will cram your heart and your mind so full of blessing and direction and significance and life, abundant life, identity, a sense of self, that your life will never be a saint and you will never want to look back. But you'll look forward, focused on the one who blesses your soul. If that describes you this morning, some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Give yourself to Jesus today and experience that. Or if there's some other needs that you want to share with the church family and for us to pray, to help each other realize what it means to be a disciple, to be a changed individual, a human being, for Jesus' sake and because of Jesus, then come and talk to these shepherds now as we stand and sing together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other vows I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other bounce I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And all the church said, you may be seated. We have uh, lots of people that are wanting to place membership with our church family this morning. Let me read these off and we'll have them stand and be recognized. Uh, Baptized this last Thursday night by Kevin Haley is uh, Reagan Fuentes. Can we have you stand? Reagan, where are you? Reagan, not here right now. We want to uh, be praying for Reagan Fuentes. Also, uh, Xavier Williams, where are you? Can we get you to stand, please? Right back here. Welcome. Latrice Cross, where are you? Can we have you stand, please? Where? Oh, hey, there you are. Welcome. And then uh, Liz Perez, where are you, Liz? Can we get you to stand, please? Not here, right now, in the balcony. Where? Oh, right there. Welcome. I need new glasses, I think. Uh, We want to remember Margaret Hatcher's father in our prayer. Skip Allen is gravely ill. He's needing our prayers right now. Wanda Robinson is asking that we pray for her, that she find inner peace, and that she have a spirit of forgiveness about her, as well as a prayer for her family in its entirety. 
the uh, the Hyde family. Um, Nashanta Hyde is now not in pain. Pray for her children and husband as she as she rests at Fort Sam Cemetery. We want to pray for the Hyde family at the passing of Nashanta Hyde uh, uh, very recently. The Columns for Shirley Minton, our earnest prayers for her health and speedy recovery. Roxanne Adams for her brother Alan Hyde. Um, it, it was Alan's wife, Nashanta, that lost her battle with cancer at age 33. She passed away on the 26th of, the de- of December. This uh, uh, prayer request that we had just a minute ago is also for this family. Joe and Loretta Hinojosa for Samuel Ludwig and the Ludwig families. They are members of the Lavernia Church of Christ. Samuel, who's a 15-year-old, was just diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. Please pray for strength as the Ludwig family goes through a lifestyle change due to this. The Milton Livy family for their son Shane. Always keep Shane and Milton in your prayers. Uh, Connie Thomas, again, for Shirley Minton. She's been uh, uh, struggling with some walking pneumonia. She needs our prayers for a speedy recovery. And Monday for uh, B.C. Bolton, a former member. Uh, B.C. is, this is Ann's father again, is not doing very well uh, in Arkansas, and hospice has been called in. Jose Magri for Vanessa Rodriguez, health issues, some depression that she's battling, and for Juan Manuel Reales, battling with, uh, with some sin in his life right now. Uh, Catherine Ranslaving for herself and for her mother and for, for, uh, for Jacob Collier. Please pray for my mother. She's not feeling very well right now. And please remember uh, Jacob in your prayers. Herschel and Julie Craig for uh, Herschel's mom, Bobby Craig. She's in ICU in Lufkin, Texas. Uh, her condition has worsened this morning. Please pray for her and the family. And then we want to remember Danny Lamp. This is Laura King's brother. He's going to return to the Mayo Clinic February 13th for a heart pump. Please pray that he is able to do what is necessary for his body to, to be prepared for this surgery. Mary Meadows, this is Gloria Trout's mother. Uh, Mary's a member out at the Bernie Church of Christ. She had surgery and is now uh, dealing with some infections because of the surgery. She is now in Methodist Hospital. Matt Weston, for our country, as we begin a new election cycle to determine the next president of the United States, please pray for wisdom for those who are choosing to vote. And uh, what we're going to do now is uh, dismiss all of those that would like to go and to be with the shepherds during their prayer time. During the singing of our next song, we're going to be standing and be dismissed at that time. And then Al Hollins will lead us in the closing prayer. Be safe and God bless as you go home this afternoon. We'll see you later tonight at 6. Let's stand and sing. Lord, take my life. Make it your home.